0: Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally.
1: Hello and welcome to episode six of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name is Dan Hasler, and in today's episode, I'm going to bring to you a chat I had with the author and uh, coaching expert, Michael Bungay-Stanya. Um, He is the author of one of my favorite books called The Coaching Habit. And in light of the fact that our uh, semester one cohort of the Habits of Leadership Programme we're actually jumping into the uh, module Leaders as Coaches uh, this week. And so I thought that uh, it'd be a great opportunity to bring to you this this chat. This chat was actually originally broadcast on my um, segment on the TER podcast. But I thought that if you've not had an opportunity to hear that, this would be um, a good time to, to re-air this interview. Um, in the interview... We talk about all different issues about what it means to be a coach and be more coach-like, and that, I guess the power that um, coaching can bring to leaders. But I wanted to kick off my chat with Michael by getting him to kind of answer um, the well, answer a question with a question, really, and that is when he puts forward the idea of coaching being the answer or being more coach-like. Um, is the answer. I'm curious to find out, well, what is the particular question that Michael's trying to answer?
0: That's a great opening question. Um, it's like, what's the problem that coaching solves? Mm. Why, why why, should we even care about this? Is it just some sort of weird West Coast Californian thing that somehow spread, or is this actually helpful? And I think Showing up as a leader as a manager as a teacher as principal as a human being and Being more coach like and I'll talk a bit about what I mean by coach like in in a second Mm. But I think it, it can potentially do three things If you care more about having impact in the work that you do So that you are focused on the stuff that matters you're focused on taking on the real stuff that is hard to solve and that will make a difference I do think that being more coach-like is useful as a tool because it will help you focus on and get clear on the real challenge. So I think that's one thing that might be helpful for some people. Mm. And some people are like, "Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I'm not that interested in that. And you're like, fine, because there's two others. The second is if you work with human beings and you care about them stretching and growing and becoming the best version of themselves, and kind of being the enabler and facilitator and supporter of people growing into themselves, unlocking their potential, then for sure, coaching can be part of that is a very powerful tool for supporting and unlocking and expanding people's potential. And of course, some people listening are like, well, yeah, whatever. I don't actually like people that much. So (laughs) carry on, Michael. What's the third thing? And the third thing is I think it can make your life better. Because it allows you to work less hard and have more impact. So I think by, in, be,
1: by being a coach, it helps you. Coach. That's right. Okay. It,
0: it's it's a key part of the mix that often gets overlooked. Which is like, okay, why would people try and be more coach like if it improves other people's lives and improves organizational life, but doesn't improve their own life? Mm. You know, it's unlikely they're going to shift their behavior. But it does improve your life because most of us, many of us. At some time or other are trapped into a process where we are working too hard because we're jumping in and fixing things and solving things and trying to improve things where our job really isn't to do that but it's to kind of enable other people to take responsibility for improving and fixing their own lives so i think being more coach-like is a way of helping you actually I'm working less hard than you are at the moment, but still having the impact that you wish mm. in the work that you do. Yeah. And I'll just say one other thing, just to to get clear. You can hear me saying, "Be more coach-like rather than coaching." And mm. and the work we do, and my company, Boxer Crayons, is is mostly focused on people and organisations. You know, some private, some schools, and the like. And it's not trying to turn people into coaches because. Mm. We figure most people don't actually want to be a coach. they It's just, they're just normal people who want to have a good life and do good work and go home and see their family. Yes. But we figure that most people actually wouldn't mind being more coach-like. And for us, more coach-like is a behavioral definition. So – let me give you the definition of what I mean by more coach-like because I think it matters. We, what are we talking about? Because there's a thousand definitions for coaching out there and which like, which one's the real one? And yeah. They all have their pros and cons. But for us, the definitions are behaviorally-based definition. And it's this. Can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? And the reason we try and make that definition so specific and so behavior-based is honestly, one of the things that we are trying to do, Dan, yeah. is we're trying to unweird coaching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. coaching is just a bit weird to too many people. They're like, you know, that's not for me. That's not my, my bag. And we're like, this is all mm-hmm. coaching is. Just stay curious a bit longer. Yeah. Rush to action and advice. Give me a little bit more slowly. And you'll get some of those benefits that we were talking about beforehand
1: yeah and that's that i mean that those two things is is a message that really comes through in um your book the coaching habit uh which uh, i was saying to you before we started recording i would say it, it, well it's absolutely a, the, one of the top 3 books i've read in the past um 2 years for sure it's it's actually a book we recommend all Thank our you, all our clients read it's absolutely top at top of the reading list um and in there you know you 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 talk about um the, the idea of being more coach-like and doing those, those behaviors that you've said. But one of the things which really gets me uh, thinking about it is that um, you talk about doing this in 10 minutes or less. and. Thank you. And this, this for me, really addresses one of the barriers that we face when we're working with organizations is that people see coaching as kind of like a nice to have, you know, and it, it but it requires right. so much time and everyone's going to sit down for an hour and then they've got to feed back to their boss about what they spoke about and what their goals right. are. And, and, you know, we've got jobs to do and we do a lot of work in education. And this, obviously, this, this podcast is aimed at educators. And I'd right. say, you, you know, Michael, if you've been into any school, you're not, you don't find a load of teachers just kicking back with loads of time on that you know what could I possibly find to do with my time today you know that that's not the phenomenon you you see exactly yeah this idea of 10 minutes or less I think I mean I don't know I think everyone I would speak to in education and coaching will go well that's not coaching but tell me how it is tell me how convince me that you can coach someone in 10 minutes or less and it is effective and it's not just effective but it's actually desirable and it's what we want
0: well let me where, where to start with that because it's, like, <laughs> it's a gauntlet thrown down and i like it
1: um
0: and it's so, a
1: friendly uh, gauntlet It's a, just to be clear yeah, it's a friendly gauntlet
0: I, I don't, it's not even your gauntlet it's <laughs> some other person's gauntlet that you borrowed and you're like i'm just going to put this on your on the so, ground here
1: And pick it up so, if you choose to you know <laughs> yeah
0: so look there's a way of defining coaching which sounds something like coaching is a one hour conversation where you have, where you come in and you go, we're doing our coaching session now. Mm. And then you're like, maybe you can't do that in 10 minutes because you've defined it as a one hour coaching conversation. So it becomes a circularly impossible thing to break. Mm. But if you start by going, okay, so what, what's the process of coaching? Well, we think is can you stay curious a bit longer? What's the outcome that you want from coaching? Well, for us, there is a virtuous circle that you're trying to generate in a coaching conversation. You're trying to create an insight, an insight typically either about the, yourself or about the situation or maybe both of those things. There's that aha moment. But the aha moment's not enough because if all they have is an aha moment and nothing changes, well then, nothing changes. Mm. So you want insight to lead to action which is actually they do things differently. And when they do things differently, you want that to have a purpose as well. So then you want impact, hopefully positive impact. So insight leads to action, action leads to impact. And then ideally you want to actually learn from that. So impact leads back to insight. And in a perfect world, that reinforces itself. And my bet is in many conversations in 10 minutes or less, I can help somebody generate a new insight that sparks action because a good question will typically uh, generate an insight. Mm. And when you have a good question or a good series of questions that uh, for instance, you know, the third question in the book is what's the real challenge here for you? Mm. Because you know, our hypothesis is that most people think that the first challenge Is the real challenge and Mm. it almost never is. Mm. But if you hold that space and in a couple of minutes go, Hey, what's the real challenge here for you? Mm. Great, what else is a challenge here for you? What else is a challenge here for you? So what's the real challenge here for you? Mm. When people get that aha moment and they're like, Oh, that's the real challenge, they actually often know what they need to do. So you have insight and you have action and you have the promise of impact. And that doesn't take ten minutes, that takes two minutes. That takes minutes you've got a choice of seeing coaching and defining coaching as an occasional formal intervention and honestly I still reckon you can do that in 10 minutes yeah. but for us we're going we want coaching to be seen as an everyday unweird key leadership behavior yeah. and part of our approach to doing that is well let's think of it like trying to feed kids vegetables now i personally am a child free man and i'm delighted about that i have (laughs) nieces and nephews actually in australia as an australian and i'm glad my brothers are bringing the next generation up but here's what i've heard you have a two-year-old and you're trying to get them to eat healthily, eat their spinach and if you put a lump of spinach on the side of their plate kids don't like that they're like i'm not going to eat the spinach it's green it's slimy it's what what are you trying to do to me If you take the spinach, if you're a cunning parent, and you blend it into the the tomato sauce, the spaghetti sauce that they're going to put on their spaghetti, um, the kids eat it and they don't even know that they're eating the spinach. They're like, this is just delicious spaghetti, pasta, whatever. I think you can think of coaching like this. It's like if you say to somebody, hey, Dan, I I enjoy working with you, but come into my office because I'm going to do a coaching session for you, with you, (laughs) honestly. Most people's amygdala, their lizard brain, is going to flare up, going, "Well, that doesn't sound good."
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we have a normal conversation most of the time, but now we're doing coaching, yeah. and you know, you're into fight or flight mode. Mm. But if I'm just curious a little more often, so you know, when we have our weekly meetings, one-to-one meetings, and rather than me going, "So, let me tell you the agenda and what I want to cover off," I say, "Hey Dan, what's what's on your mind?" That's a coaching moment. Mm because I'm asking the question, I'm staying curious, I'm giving them autonomy, Autonomy. I'm helping them towards mastery, I'm allowing them to make the choice about where we go. All of that expanding their potential, mm. all of that starting to unlock their potential. Mm. So there you go. That's my attempt to convince you that you can yeah. coach in ten minutes or less. What yeah. do you reckon? How do I do? Give me score one and
1: ten. It, it was something of a, of a, of a harsh, harsh gauntlet because you didn't really need to convince me. So, <laughs> uh, if anything, you could have done more damage. But you could have like you could have moved me away. But no, it was pretty compelling because it, it, it's. I mean, this it's really interesting because a lot of what you're saying, like in in our work. Um, we we see this. Um, the, what what is coaching and and, and uh, everything you mentioned? It's the formal thing. It's a delineation, right? It's not a normal conversation anymore. It's a coaching one. It's this, and right. what and and then they. Uh, I really want to get your insight on this because th- what we find is a lot of people then compound this because they go, "Aha! I can use coaching to better performance manage my team, and I right. can get them." You know, setting these incredible goals, um, and then I can hold them accountable for those goals. And then, of course, um, well, there's a, 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 that research. I think you published earlier, or well, late last year, uh, "The Truth Lies About Performance Management." There's a great right. story. It, I'd just love you to to share that story. There's a, there's a story about a lumberjack, it, right? It, yeah, but maybe I don't know if we can have an Aussie. What would be an Aussie <laughs> version? Shearing sheep or something? Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Let's um, do that. Yeah, so, if you could just tell the story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so it's 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 what happens when you have a poor attempt at performance management. Mm. So, you know, you come in and you've got a uh, sheep shearer and you're the sheep shearer manager and you mm. say to Jill, the sheep shearer, hey, Jill, mm. I, I'm excited about how good you are as a shearer. I've heard nothing but good things. We've got some awesome sheep in the pen. Um, it feels like it's going to be a big day today. So tell me, how, how many do you reckon you can do today? How, what, I mean, I'm excited to know what you're up for. How, give me a tie. What are you going to go for today? And Jill's like, oh, thanks, Michael. I appreciate the words of support. I'm excited as well. I've, I've oiled my, my, my clippers. I'm feeling good. I reckon I can hit 100. I, I'm, I'm pretty confident I can hit 100. And that's great. So that's like a motivating piece. And then, of course... You bring in the performance management piece. You go, know. well, I'm delighted that you've set yourself that target, Jill. Obviously, if you fall short of a hundred, well, I'm going to have to dock your pay. Mm. Um, and if you, if it's ten short of a hundred, well, you know there'll be no bonus. Yeah. And if it's twelve short mm-hmm. of a hundred, well, you know you'll be a B performer, and we don't actually hire B performers around here. Mm. At which stage, of course, Jill goes, well, you know, when I said a hundred, <laughs> I, I misspoke. I misspoke badly, really. Honestly, I'm pretty sure 40 is the target for today. I mean, mm. 40...
1: Because you know, it's hot. It's a hot day.
0: <laughs> it's a hot day. And look at those sheep; They're mangy with kind of weird wool going on and, and the, the tin roof of the shed. Well, that's slanted at 32 degrees, not 38 degrees, and I can't work in that. That's obviously going to affect my performance. Um, and I've been caught sand with you know with a bit of sandpaper in my pocket, <laughs> trying to rough up my shears a little bit. So now you I've been more banned by the yeah. <laughs> Australian Shearing Cricket Corporation or something. <laughs> so you, know, so you, you you get into that game, which is like so in performance management. What are you yeah. trying to do? Are you trying to get the best of your people, or are you trying to control your people?
1: Yeah, which is really interesting because in Australia, well, particularly in uh, the state, well, my, most most education systems. But I, we we spend a lot of time working with the uh, public education system that every teacher has to have what they call PDP goals per professional personal development you know program goals right. and there's just this ongoing joke like really you know you think when you complete your goal when you succeed you know that should make you feel like you've grown not only as a professional but you know also as a person you know if we're really thriving at work and yet very few people feel like that because I think despite best efforts around coaching conversations or whatever if we're yes. being honest, we just set goals we know we can do, don't we? If, if if we think that the goals are going to be aligned to whether or not, if I'm on a temporary contract, I'm going to get a permanent one, or if there's you know, oh, exactly. only one spot. So I'm curious, I guess, as to how do we... Um, or, or how can you try and square that circle? Around we want people to articulate the best version of themselves and, and set themselves these aspirational goals. But then, as a manager or you know, a, a principal or or whoever, how yeah. do we, at the same time, you know, that word accountability—it's almost seemed like a dirty word. I actually like yeah. the word. I think it's good to to. to give people accountability and you know right. value them as professionals
0: I support people in accountability yeah but how do you want I, to be held accountable because mm. they i mean i play around with accountability because it's like it's, it's a language thing which like if i hold you accountable suddenly it's my job to drive accountability mm. and for me it's always like it's if this is your life then you're responsible for finding the the support that will allow you to achieve the life that you want to have what does that look like how can mm. i help Um, yeah, you know, it, Dan, it's, it's tricky because, um, to a, to a a strong degree, how we behave is influenced by our environment and the structures Mm. around us. Um, you know, this isn't a bit of an aside, but people talk about behavior change all the time Mm. and, and how hard it is. It is difficult to change people's behavior. Um, and in Dan and Chip Heath's book, Switch. Mm. They share a metaphor around thinking about behavior change. And it's not theirs. I just can't remember where they got it from, where they're mm. quoting it from. But the basics of it is this. Uh, imagine a, uh, an, an elephant, a rider on an elephant, kind of walking along a path. And in that picture, you have a metaphor of the three levers of behavior change. Mm. The rider on the elephant is rational change. It's the rational case for doing things differently. The elephant is the kind of the emotional drivers of change. They're kind of almost what's in it for me. And the path is the environment that can shape change and shape direction. And what we so often do is we put all of our focus on the rider because it's the obvious thing. It's the shiny thing. It looks like it's controlling the elephant. But the truth is the rational case for change is weak. (laughs) <laughs> and it almost never generates actual change because if there was a rational case for change, New Year's resolutions wouldn't be so depressing. Yeah. And, you know, there was... um,
1: And we it, might keep them. <laughs>
0: well, well, years ago, there was an article in Fast Company um, mm. and it was talking about, I think it was Fast Company, maybe HBR, mm. and it was talking about just how hard changes they quoted the study that said people who went in for a heart bypass saved their lives Mm. and after the operation the surgeon said look so we've 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 temporarily saved your life Mm. but um unless you change the way you live your life you know smoking eating exercising um you're going to die because Mm. your heart can't handle this and eight out of ten people were unable or unwilling to change the way mm. they live their lives, yeah. even though you can't have a more stark, rational case for change than that.
1: Yeah. Then you're going to die.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're going yeah. to die. Yeah. So then there's the emotional case for change, which is like, how do you connect to something beyond you? How do you find what really motivates you? How do you connect to the why? That's the elephant. Yeah. And that makes sense in this metaphor because you know even though you have a rider on an elephant, if the elephant just goes, I'm going off path here. (laughs) I'm doing my own thing. There's not a whole lot a writer can do. But then there's the path. Mm. And it turns out that the environment is the thing that truly shapes the way we change. It's good to have rational and emotional case for change for sure. But influencing the environment is really a key driver for making change happen. Mm. And that's why you have books like Nudge and, yeah. uh, and others that talk about kind of in that behavioral economics way, mm. how tweaks to the environment can make all the difference. Yeah. So that's why, for instance, at Google, um, you know, where you have all these great chefs preparing free lunches and free breakfasts. And, mm. you know, when you've got a whole bunch of people sitting around coding and then coming down and eating delicious, unlimited food, mm-hmm. there's the danger of having fat people. <laughs> um, and what they found out is that um, by having smaller plates, people eat less. Yeah. <laughs> the bigger the plate, you fill up your plate, you eat your plate. Yeah. Smaller the plate, you fill up your plate, you eat your plate. Yeah. And that, inf- that little nudge, that sh- twist in the environment makes all the difference. Yeah. And all of this is a long way to say, which is uh, if you have a system that insists that this is the way we set goals or this is the way we measure performance, it takes a degree of creativity and courage to hack that system find Mm. ways around that system Um, and if you're a principal going my job is to enforce the system then there may be no way of breaking out Mm. from that Mm. if you're a principal who goes my job is to protect my teachers from the bad parts of the system and, and let the good parts in so here's how we play this particular game and here's how I build a culture that nurtures and encourages all of that mm. stuff within my school or within my my, my district, whatever mm. it might be. Then that's what you're up against. Mm. Now, it's much easier to talk about that than do it. Mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty well aware of that.
1: Do you see a difference in, um, in, in say, the the corporate world or businesses who, you know, a lot of edu- educators, I think, look out? So when you cite Google, for example, I can guarantee there would have been maybe 80% of the audience kind of eye-roll and go, yeah, Michael, but well, that's Google. Uh, yeah. You know, we're, we're, a, we're a small <laughs> public school. So do you, yeah. is, there, is there more autonomy in the corporate world to do that? Um, but I'll also add, Even if so, if there is, do you still feel that people in the corporate world feel there isn't, you know, and they just keep maintaining the status quo? Well,
0: exactly. I mean, honestly, 85% of people in the corporate world roll their eyes when you talk about Google because they're like, it's Google. It's like the second richest company (laughs) in the world. Yeah. And they've got that kind of whole Silicon Valley. We're building a, you know, an awesome place to work that manages to keep people working 90 hours a week because you get all your food and dry cleaning done Mm here. Yeah. So, sure. So um, I'm not saying be Google no. you don't have the money, obviously. Um, I am saying what's the principle from Google that you mm. may look at yeah. your school and go, so what can we do here? Yeah. You know, What resources do we have? How yeah. do we tweak our environment? Yeah. Because you have a choice as to being um, a victim or not in terms of how you show up and take, take control of your life. I mean, I love mm. to work with a guy called Peter Block, uh, uh, he's a thinker in this kind of organizational space, great champion for education. And I once heard him say that he saw his work as giving people responsibility for their own freedom.
1: Right.
0: And it's very easy for anyone to kind of go, look, I mean, a shitty school, I've got a tough principal. I'm struggling with this and the other. What can you do? Mm. And, you, and then you go, here's how I'm a victim of this situation. And this is not meant to diminish how tough it can be working in some places some of the time. And you know, this, is, this is classic stuff. I'm not saying anything new here. This is like man's search for meaning, which is mm. like you get to shape. You get to decide what choices you have. You get to make those choices. You get to decide whether to show up in a certain mindset, victim or not. And if you choose not that, what can you do? What choices Mm. can you make? What can you can control? And what does that open up for you in terms of possibilities?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really um, important point, really working to shine the spotlight on what we can do. Because a lot of the time when we sit with organizations and we talk about what do you want to do, they waste all their time chalking off all the things they can't do. Oh, we can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do that. So for me, the power of... um, being more coach-like is to obviously sit with that, but then really right. keep flipping it back. And and if we get that happening in the culture, um, if that then becomes the norm, then I, I mean I don't know. You probably you've got more experience than me, but if that starts becoming the norm, that we recognise what is, but we start ideating as to what might be. Yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder if that's where we should be heading.
0: Well, you know, a number of the questions that are in the Coaching Habit book are uh, there to help conversations that if you like to use the jargon, you mm. start coaching the person, not the problem.
1: Mm.
0: Because what so often happens is we point to the problem and go, that's the problem. And we all go, yeah, well, that's intractable. And then mm. you go, well,
1: wow. <laughs> okay, huh, oh, there next, we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, you, you take,
0: you take a question, like what's the real challenge here for you? Mm. And the way that question's constructed, we call it the focus question because we're like Mm. so often in in organizational life where we try and work to solve the wrong problems because we think that first challenge is the real challenge. Mm. But here you go. So what's the real challenge here for you? And how that's constructed matters because what's the real challenge is a useful question, but you're likely to talk about the problem. If you say what's the real challenge here for you, now you've got the person going, here's my challenge with this. Here's where I'm stuck. Here's where I'm frustrated. Mm. And the spotlight moves from the problem to the person solving the problem. Yeah. And it's empowering, but it's also putting the agency back onto that person to say, what are you wrestling with? What's hard for you here? Yeah. And how can I help you with that? Mm. And then the fourth question um, in the book, we call it the foundation question, mm. is what do you want? Yeah, And... You know, it's one of those tri- slightly tricky questions to get the tone right because if you ask, you know, it's not too hard to be sarcastic when you go, so what do you want? Mm. <laughs> or frustrated when you go, so what do you want? Yeah. If you show up with general curiosity going, okay, I hear what's going on for you. What do you want? Mm. What do you really want? Yeah. That's also a way of having people own the the change that they're looking for, the yeah. shift that they're hungry for. You know, Yeah. If that's what you want and I hear it and I can tell it's important to you, yeah. you know what's the real challenge yeah. for you? Yeah. Well, if that's the real challenge here for you, what do you want? And suddenly we're into an interesting personal conversation that's about something that matters and it involves agency for the other person. Yeah. What you've got to do, though, when you're asking those questions, is resist jumping in and saving them or yeah. solving it. For oh, I
1: should do this. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> there's a place for ideas and there's a place for solutions. Absolutely. But so mm-hmm. often we're, we're too quick with it. Yeah. So I'd let them find what the real challenge is. Because mm-hmm. sometimes when they find the real challenge, they actually see what the solution is. They get yeah. that aha. And that's yeah. where the magic happens.
1: Absolutely. Well, I, I, um, I've i just got a couple of questions to finish if, if, if we've got sure. time. And yeah, I would yeah, great. I was um, I was overseas recently in, in Hong Kong, and, and there was a an educator. At an event came up, and she's been given the position at a school, uh, which has been recognised in the title she's been given, the extra money she's being paid, and the time she's been given on a timetable to oversee what she says is the creation of a coaching culture at the school. However, Fantastic. it is. However, she's got a she's in it. She finds herself in a tricky spot because she says the school does not want a formal coaching program right so so she's asking um she actually she's sitting there she's she's she went for the job she got the job uh she's got the extra money the title the time which she knows she's going to have to be she's going to be held accountable for doing something (laughs) um and it appears to me she's been given the scope to do pretty much what she likes but given that um there's not a a formal program, I immediately thought of, well, this would be a great question to ask you given everything we've spoken about so far. Um, If you were in her position, what ideas might you come up with to create this coaching culture at the school without that formal, you know, once a week kind of thing? What are some of the things that we could do to get, get that happening for her?
0: Well, what sparked my curiosity is when you go, yeah, but the school doesn't want a coaching mm. culture or a formal coaching program. So I'm like, well, when you say the school, what do you mean by that? <laughs> do you mean the principal, <laughs> Do you mean the, the, yeah. the district supervisor, do you mean mm. the senior teachers, mm. you know, where, first of all, where's the resistance? Where, yep. where really is the resistance? Because if you clump it as the school, mm. then, you've got an invisible, impossible rival that you can never defeat. Mm. But it's like, okay, who, who's where in terms of their opposition or not to the idea of this? Mm. And then I'm like, so what problem am I solving? Because a, a coaching culture just for the sake of a coaching culture is not a compelling reason to do a coaching culture for anybody. Mm. It's like... That just sounds like a whole lot of work for no clear outcome. So, mm. yeah, why would you want to do that? I wouldn't want to do that either. Mm. But I'm like, so what's going on with this school? So, mm. you know, what, what are your key stakeholders up against? You know, what does your principal worry about? Mm. Is it keeping your teachers? Is it about student happiness? Is it about, you know, what are the metrics that matter? And in what way? might coaching solve the problems that the key people care about?
1: Mm.
0: So this is change management, right? This is about actually nobody wants change. (laughs) Even the people who say they want change, they don't want change. Systems do not want change. The point of a system is homeostasis, which is let's try and stay exactly the way we are. Change management is really hard. You push into a system, it pushes back. So that's where I'd start, which is going, what what problems are we solving here? And where, if anywhere, is, is the resistance really located? Mm. And then I might point to something like appreciative inquiry or my kind of favorite version of that, which is positive deviance. And to say, look, in this school, the future has arrived already. It's just unevenly distributed. Mm. So there are some people in the school who are showing up in a way that is Contributing to a, a coach-like culture. So, what are they doing <laughs> that's making that work? You know, how have they found a way to make it work and to to get away with it, even though there's a degree of resistance somewhere in this school? Mm. And so part of what you're doing there is you're going rather than trying to find an outside solution and try and push it inwards, which creates resistance, it's actually to say hey, what's happening within and how do we amplify that? So it's like, I'm not trying to change the school. I'm just trying to turn up the volume on bits of the school that are already working. How do we do that? Mm. And then I think there's a degree to say, what what, what what's the worry about coaching? Because mm. people have all sorts of absolutely legitimate concerns about coaching. It takes too long. I don't have time to do it. Even if I did have time to do it, I still don't have time to add anything to what I'm doing. I don't know what coaching really is. I have a bunch of assumptions about what I think coaching is. Um, It feels too complicated. It feels like a magic black box. I don't want to change my identity. I'm I'm a teacher. I'm a principal. I'm not a coach. Um, What's in it for me? It's about going, let's try and remove the barriers to coaching so that people are like, oh, well, if that's what you mean by coaching, Oh, and if that's going to help me, and if that's going to help the school, and if that's going to help the pupil, mm. oh, look, I don't want a coaching culture, but whatever this is, I'm happy to do.
1: Mm. So it's about having a, 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 I guess, more conversations around around what it is, the barriers are, and what what they want, and what they really want, and, and how they yeah. can bridge those. Well, gaps. What, I
0: can, what I can promise is going. I'm about to launch a coaching culture, whether you like it or not, mm. will end in tears.
1: Mm. <laughs> So have you seen that? Have you seen uh, where people have gone gung-ho and it's just fallen up down around their ears?
0: Uh, you know, I have a background in in change management and trying to make change happen in organizations. And, you know, let's list all the mistakes you can make in change management yeah. and let me explain how I made all of them multiple times. <laughs> so I would call this hard-won wisdom in that yeah. you know, it's taken me a while to figure this out. Um, but change management often is something that works best if you come a little bit sideways at it mm. and a little bit under the cover rather than trying to come at it directly and go, here's how we're making it happen. Yeah, here's,
1: here's the new thing. The old thing's wrong. Here's the new thing. Get on board. Right. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I just wanted to finish with this question. It's a, I guess it's a little bit um, outside the realm of coaching, but I am particularly keen on your insight given you've worked across you know, various sectors, and that is in, in education, teacher well-being and principal well-being, is, um, it, it's a, a huge issue. And I have a couple of working theories around how we might um, improve that. And, and one of them is that I think... A lot of the issues are principals feel responsible for student outcomes. And that, And what happens when that pl- hap- uh, plays out is that staff sometimes feel micromanaged because the principal's putting pressure on to teach in certain ways, and then the principal feels the pressure because the teachers aren't teaching in those certain ways, and it can start creating quite a, an interesting set of behaviours and, and, and events. And what one thing I heard Simon Sinek talk about was where um, – well-being and engagement enhances in the corporate world when leaders recognize they are not responsible for the outcomes but rather they're responsible for the people who are responsible for the outcomes. So in the school setting, principals right. aren't responsible for student outcomes. Principals are responsible to the people who are responsible for student outcomes. And mm-hmm. then just to finish, I was wondering, I know it's a little bit sort of left field, but one, is that something that you subscribe to in any, in any way? And two, if so, um, have you seen any shifts when leaders and staff make this realization?
0: Well, I mean, it's a classic dilemma. Which is, the more senior you get in an organisation, the less direct control you have over anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like I all I do, you know, I'm, I'm speaking as a principal or a CEO or a senior leader. Going, all I really get to do is try and kind of mention the strategy, be encouraging find good people and go do more of that. Find people who are struggling and go, how do I, how can I help you find people who have opted out and go, how do I show you the door? Um, And the more you try and control that and micromanage that, um, that's typically not that sustainable because um, after a while, the good people go away because they're like, I don't want to be micromanaged. Mm. Uh, And, And you're trying to control a wider scope than you can actually ever really manage. Mm. So, I mean, I agree. And it takes a real degree of discipline when you've got your your district supervisor going, why is your school underperforming? Mm. Or not to be reactive to that going, you're right, why is it underperforming? I'm going down to... I'm taking over grade one and I'm going to teach it because I know how to do that. But to sort of say, right, we are struggling here and here's how we're going to do it. And here's how I'm going to support my teachers to shift around that. um, Particularly when there's limited resources as well. So it's hard. I don't, Mm. I don't have an easy answer to that. I mean, it's easy to to talk about this in theory. Mm. In practice, it takes courage and discipline to, say my job is to support the people who are accountable for the results
1: yeah yeah so if people have been um you know it, well if they're still listening to this interview i'm going to assume they're interested and um, <laughs> you know maybe keen to hear more um uh, hear more from you read your stuff connect with you on social media the web the like um can you just, just throw out your deets? Where where can people find more more oh. about you
0: so one place to start if you're interested in the coaching stuff is go to thecoachinghabit.com. Um, there's a lot of resources there. You can download some of the book. You can watch a ton of videos. You can listen to podcasts. There's all sorts of stuff. And you're welcome to pillage that site as much as you want. Um, I have a personal site that is thoroughly unbuilt up, but com. And I don't think there's anything there other than a a free download on how to do more great work. You know, how to have focus on the work that has more impact and more meaning. So if you're like that, you're welcome to jump on there. Um, You know, we do a little work in the education sector. So boxofcrayons.com is where you find our, our organizational offerings and how we do there. And, you know, in the next five or six months, we're introducing a digital way of teaching our programs. So, for people who like, I'm interested, but we can't get you in because you're too far away or too expensive. Mm. There's a digital program coming, so that might be of interest to some yeah, people. Right.
1: And your book, of course, which is?
0: The Coaching Heaven, And hopefully a new book coming out November this year, November oh, 2019. Oh. Um, I'm right in the... In the murky slew of despond while trying to write that
1: what a lovely expert anyone who says you need to write a book (laughs) they've never written a book
0: (laughs) it's mostly a miserable experience
1: (laughs) well i hope i hope this hasn't been a miserable experience because i've thoroughly enjoyed the chat michael thank you so much um for your time today my
0: pleasure and thanks um, for having me and thanks for the great questions
1: If you enjoyed that conversation and felt that Michael had um, some words of wisdom and and things that could uh, help you in your work, we'll put all those links that he mentioned, the box of crayons and the coaching habit, in the show notes um, below the podcast here. And also in the show notes, you'll find a link to our habitsofleadership.com uh, page where you can find out more about our programs and um, how you can get involved in our semester two cohorts, which kick off in August of this year. Also, if you found this uh, podcast or these series of podcasts um, worthwhile, please do like them, share them, uh, comment on them, subscribe, of course, to the podcast, and, and you know put them out to your networks as well because um, it really does. Uh, quite the difference for us uh, here to know that uh, you're finding them worthwhile but until the next episode of Habits of Leadership take care take it easy